Hello everyone, welcome to this podcast series curated by Sam's Club Calcutta. This series was envisioned with the main objective of integrating the Sam's global ecosystem with Sam's Club Calcutta across multiple parameters, including the students who are currently pursuing the Sam's MIM, the alumni network of Sam's Club Calcutta, and the broader Sam's community as a whole. The agenda that we plan uh, to pursue with this podcast series is firstly. Uh, drawing from the insights and experience of our unique and extensive alumni network in terms of understanding their career trajectories, where they stand today, how the SEMS MIM degree helped them, uh, so that the people who are wanting to pursue the SEMS MIM degree or are currently pursuing the same can draw from these insights and learn more about the program. And secondly, uh, providing an insight to the global uh, community who is interested about the Indian economy in terms of what the business ecosystem is like here across multiple industries like consulting, finance, product management, uh, entrepreneurship, etc. Being in line with that, the first episode today is an uh, all-out consulting industry episode for which we have a couple of veterans from McKinsey & Company who are... uh, alumni of IIM Calcutta as well as the SEMS MIM program that they had pursued in their time over here. We have Pallav Karg, who is an engagement manager based out of the McKinsey India office. And we have Mr. Jimmy Joy, who is a consultant for McKinsey and Company based out of Belgium. So we will be drawing from both the Indian as well as the global experience uh, of consulting uh, in, in today's session. My name is Rishi Juthani. I was attending St. Gallen University in Switzerland as part of my SEMS and my exchange. I will be joining McKinsey & Company as a junior associate as soon as my MBA program is over. I would like to uh, introduce my colleague who will be helping uh, me interview uh, Jimmy as well as uh, Pallav uh, Agrima. Um, why don't you introduce yourself? God, um, so, hi, I'm Agrima. I am a civil engineer from my undergrad and post that I'm currently studying at IIM Calcutta. Uh, I was supposed to go for SEMS to Nova, Portugal, but um, unfortunately that couldn't materialize due to COVID. However, I'm very excited to be here and I'm also summer intern. I was a summer intern at McKinsey and hopefully I'll be joining it soon this year. So very excited on that venture as well. Over to you, Rish. I would like to introduce uh, Pallav now, who is an engagement manager uh, at McKinsey at a company. He uh, graduated uh, from IIM Calcutta in 2015 and has been uh, with the firm uh, since then. Uh, Pallav has worked uh, extensively across the pharma, tech uh, and uh, other industries, uh, you know, focusing on growth, M&As, strategy, uh, etc. He, I think, uh, has what we might, as Indians, uh, call one of the uh, best-in-class uh, CVs uh, right from his undergrad. He did his undergrad uh, from IIT Delhi, went on to IIM Calcutta, and is now working uh, with McKinsey and Company as an engagement uh, manager. So, uh, really great to have you on board, Pallav. Uh, right. So, I'm happy to Im- introduce uh, Jimmy Joy today. He's a consultant uh, at McKinsey and currently working at Brussels. Uh, he's been a student of IIM Calcutta, and he comes with... Uh, you know, a rich experience in a number of sectors. He, his focus areas at IIM Calcutta was uh, marketing and finance. He's interned with uh, Unilever. He's got a rich variety of experiences across uh, Bennett Coleman uh, and uh, at Practo as well. I'm happy to introduce him today and let's take it from here. Thank you. Thank you, Rishi and uh, Agrima. First of all, thanks for uh, having having me on this podcast. Um, very, very happy to reconnect with, uh, with, with, with the younger cohort and, and see what you guys are up to. So by way of introduction, exactly as Agrima put, uh, I'm from the 49-19 batch. 
which is yeah, a couple of years now um, behind us. Also, it was the first batch of uh, Sense and very fond memories of the class of uh, 12, 14. I mean, looking back, I think when when we obviously for me joining I am Calcutta was something that I was I was really keen and eager to as you know exactly from the time I graduated from my engineering days and and so it was a very happy place to join in the first place and in addition to that what from a SEMS point of view what later transpired was that uh, at the time I am Calcutta got inducted into the consortium of SEMS which um, obviously is like Calcutta was the only one from India and I think it continues to be the only one so at the time it was positioned as really a platform of a like a consortium of European business schools that gives you an opportunity to sort of find career opportunities potentially outside India as well and that was that was probably I would say the most attractive point of view uh, in addition to the fact that SEMS also gave you this opportunity to get a, a master's degree in addition to the one that you were already getting from uh, from I am Calcutta and we had a fairly fairly competitive um, selection process at the time where each of us were required if you were interested to apply specifically for that which included a lot of SOPs and stuff like that and and uh, yeah there were about 15 seats I don't know I'm not sure how many we have today but uh, back in the day we had about 15 and I had the opportunity to go to Esade which uh, was in Barcelona a really really good time four months that we spent over there and I can you know share lots of different uh, stories from and interesting things that I picked up from that journey. But uh, looking back, yeah, very fond memories of, of those two years. If I may add, it also gave me a bit of, a, I would say, prioritized uh, sort of focus in terms of also where I did my internships. Uh, because at the time, we were also trying to make sure that the internships were also fairly international. So that was also a, a really good experience that uh, SEMS opened up for me back, uh, back at that time. So Jimmy, just one follow-up question here. Since you were one of the first batches of SEMS uh, and you, you know, unlike us, we have a lot of feedback from our seniors. You had absolutely no feedback, at least not from my Calcutta seniors. So, you know, how, how did you decide on going for SEMS? Um, how did you, you know, probably help yourself with the application process, etc.? Yeah, well, at the time, uh, I was pretty clear that I anyway wanted to go on a student exchange which I was fairly sure I wanted to do. So at the time, there was this opportunity to also do that student exchange along with potentially taking a few additional courses and you know, also having to stretch a little bit in terms of language requirements and the need for an international internship and so on. But uh, the promise was that, of course, you have this opportunity to get that additional master's in international management as well, opening up your avenues to uh, the whole STEMS network and so on. So the way we went about it was that uh, there was a clear an indication saying that, hey, we are looking for people who have potentially had some international experience or, you know, probably a bit of an international exposure in terms of work experience or or in terms of where you grew up or studied or, you know, some sort of a bit of a flavor around that was was preferred. And uh, it was a bit of an open camp, canvas and, you know, obviously did not know what really to expect out of it in terms of the journey itself or in terms of the selection process. Um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of, there was a lot of interest around it and, I don't know, probably I would say maybe half the class uh, applied for it and uh, was uh, fortunate. Uh, it was, yeah, had the uh, the interviews as well to follow up with the application process. And it, uh, yeah, I think it went quite well. <clears throat> Indeed, we had no precedence, but I think at the time, it's fair to say that SEMS was also sort of trying to find its feet around what it wanted to achieve uh, with Calcutta itself. So yeah, we were a little bit of, uh, a little bit of the, the first batch of trials, uh, but I think it went out uh, pretty well. Yeah, I think just to add to what Jimmy said, right, I think the lure of being a part of a community which was as strong as that of, let's say, any of the IITs and IIMs in India, right, because you do a little bit of a digging and you realize that SEMS is equivalent to uh, the IIT and the IIMs, uh, a community similar to India, right, so the lure of being part of that community, right, and the Incre- with increasing globalization, the the thought of uh, exploring a career uh, in Europe, right? I think that was clearly one of the big points 
that I decided to sort of apply for the same side in addition to whatever JB said, even though it was a second batch for us. Uh, but I think that was uh, definitely a good promise, right, in, in exchange for a little bit of an extra coursework, a project and assignments. So that was definitely one of the things that went behind. But yeah, I think uh, on the broader note that Rishi mentioned, right, I think uh, journey through Am Calcutta, the campus itself growing on you uh, over the period of first year, right, starting with the grind in the first and second uh, semester and then uh, coming in December, the whole aura around the campus changes and then uh, I think in context of SEMS, right, uh, just a small group of that 15, 20 people in your cohort uh, who finally end up getting selected, sharing a lot of those common stories that Jimmy talked about because there was some sort of a criteria of people having some international exposure. So going through the selection process, having shared those common stories, as well as with the senior cohort of 15 people, right, it almost becomes a community within a community. And then there's a whole lot of selection process, uh, internships, projects, right, that... Uh, uh, tie you together. For example, we did our STEMS project in pairs, and uh, uh, I was doing my project with my friend, and as part of the project, we had to travel to Jamshedpur a couple of times. There are so many stories on the campus doing those projects, doing assignments, and coincidentally, in, uh, I also went to SRA for my uh, STEM 16 semester, right? so, and it was a wonderful place. Uh, we'll talk more later about it today, but the kind of people that you meet, right? you don't end up meeting a normal student exchange program. That was definitely a big part of the experience that you take away from the whole SEMS program. Right. I think so. Uh, one uh, major point of difference between an MBA uh, and a normal undergraduate course somewhere down the line becomes the time duration. Like, for example, in engineering, you're spending four years with a group of friends. Uh, in other degrees, you're spending three to five years, right? So I think even we experience this as Pallav rightly mentioned that the, the sense of community uh, within a smaller uh, cluster of people, SEMS really helps us, uh, you know, uh, accentuate that sort of a feeling within that given period of two years or one year that you guys are, are together. So just uh, taking up from uh, that, and I think Pallav and Jimmy uh, briefly uh, touched upon this uh, and since we were talking about SR, we will definitely come to uh, whether you know both of you all ended up going to Camp Nou and uh, getting pictures uh, clicked uh, there or not uh, but then apart from uh, you know just uh, uh, roaming around the brilliant places uh, near Barcelona and uh, Europe uh, overall uh, would you like to maybe talk us through a little bit of uh, the SEMS uh, pedagogy how is it different from the pedagogy at uh, IM Calcutta or the network globally that helped you uh, create and maybe the opportunities that a career forum uh, or even the network that uh, I touched upon uh, really opened up for you. If any one of you wants to take it up uh, uh, first. Let me start and Jimmy, you should jump in, right? I think uh, uh, two, three points, Rishi, there, right? Uh, key points of sort of departure that, that at least I experienced, right? One is just the type of courses that are on offer, right? For example, I spent one term at SRA and the kind of courses that we did were on entrepreneurship, right? Uh, on innovation. And there was a course on innovation where there were eight classes and all of them were workshop formats where we had one each idea and one speaker coming and talking about that, right? So uh, even some of the financial courses were very innovatively uh, structured in a way that it was more exercises, more discussions. And when you have a multi uh, sort of cultural people in one class, there's always different kind of perspectives that people bring based on experience. That's quite a, uh, uh, quite a different thing from what we typically see in our normal uh, uh, semester that I am calculating. The second is the networking, right? Uh, uh, I'm not sure whether it was just because of Isade, but the whole focus on entrepreneurship and all the entrepreneurs coming and talking about their ventures, uh, some of the business, uh, uh, some of the business communities, right? Uh, small ventures starting within the broader companies. It was quite exciting to see that perspective 
also right because back in 2015 is when the startup uh, uh, culture was exploding in india also we were talking we were starting to talk about all these unicorn sites so it was very interesting to see what was already happening in europe uh, let's say 2 3 years ahead of uh, how it was happening in india unfolding in india right so i think those two things were definitely uh, uh, interesting right as we went through the experience jimmy you should add yeah i mean i'll, I'll start off with i mean i have very fond uh, memories of uh, in fact it was i think it was palav and your friend uh, mukul if i'm not mistaken you guys were you, you know the second batch of uh, sends and you had a bunch of questions to me uh, about the whole experience of sade and it's interesting now that you're across the table and talking about sense so that's that's interesting itself uh, to start with but just looking back at sade i think uh, if i were to look at the same two dimensions that you know palav just mentioned what stands out for me first of all in terms of um let's say course material and sort of the student community i would say that one of the big differences that i noticed was that typically you could say that the um the student community at sems was probably a bit younger than let's say a year or two on average younger than uh, the folks that come in from 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 for example from im calcutta let's say typically with one or two years of experience um and their experience would be typically like a bunch of let's say three to four different internship experiences at various um corporates you know offices across across uh, europe and so on so they came in with short intern experiences uh, but very different and very diverse experiences as opposed to typically what what we were more used to which was like probably freshers or maybe one or two years of experience in, in a focused uh, environment and one corporation and so on So that was interesting. Um the other thing is that in terms of the coursework and material itself what I always found fascinating is that if we had a case discussion at IIM Calcutta there would be a lot of emphasis on the quantitative pieces of it like everyone would eventually run to the case exhibits with a lot of number crunching that's that's stacked up at the end of it versus if you go uh, and have uh, case discussions you know whether it's whether it was at uh, at SRI or later on for me at NCR as well what i always found fascinating was that the softer aspects of business um, the people in the organization and the culture and those kind of things took a very very central piece of the whole discussions around um, you know the, in terms of the learning materials and in terms of how do you how do you deal with various kind of situations so that was always interesting to me <clears throat> um second in terms of uh, in terms of the networks that uh, i was exposed to i think probably we didn't realize it at the time but i would say that even from that small cohort of sra alumni that uh, i had the opportunity to engage with some of them actually gone on to do really really interesting things uh, in the next couple of years like i believe in my class this this for example one one of one of our classmates who's who is doing an amazing job in the entrepreneurial sector in Singapore Australia and he's like a, he's been you know selected as a Forbes 30 and the 30 leader and i had another colleague who was doing amazing things on 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 the planet and 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 it's called plan b and stuff and she was just recently voted as the most influential european woman in the top 50 or so on a list that's Jeremy Angela Merkel so at the time you don't realize it but some really really smart kids around you um so it's always a fascinating opportunity to stay connected with them and build those networks because Yeah, you will cross roads with them as you go along. So those two really stuck out for me. Thanks, Jimmy. That those are wonderful insights. But I would actually like to highlight another thing from your profile. Your you have done another MBA from NCR as well. So were these insights common to you know the, uh, your MBA there as well? And how in general has you know global MBA seemed different to you compared to Indian uh, education? Um, it's it's a very interesting question. Um, and I think we do hear. you know different shades of these answers all of the time um and for me it was a bit of a leap of faith because it's not co- quite common that you do a full time mba in india and then you do a second you know like a masters program it's not it's not a very common decision to take 
the reason behind my decision was that I was pretty clear that I wanted to make a transition both in terms of geography as well as in terms of function. And I knew that I had to make that call pretty early on. So which is why I took that decision and went ahead and, and made that transition. Um, but just segueing into that in terms of how, how was the experience different from I in Calcutta, I would say that some of these things did overlap in terms of, for example, from a course material, again, the same stuff around, you know, the quality aspects of business, a lot of emphasis, especially at NCR. Um, <clears throat> that really stood out for me, uh, but also in terms of the diversity, and I think Pallav also alluded to that in terms of the Asadi context, uh, very, very much also true in, 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 in Seattle, where we had, you know, what I think 75 to 80 different nationalities and the, and, and, and the whole environment around problem solving or the way you look at different problems takes a completely different uh, perspective. Also, because people come with extensive experience, probably five to six years or more of experience, and they all sort of leverage their own backstories and their own context setting for, for addressing each of these situations. So there's a lot more color and flavor to it. Um, but I would also add that um, they, I would say that in terms of ac academic um, rigor or maybe the need for grades is highly de-emphasized in some of these colleges um, to the point that, for example, you know, I, I wouldn't know what's the, what's the CGP of the person who's sitting on my right or the left. They could be like GMAT 790 or they could be uh, like the top of the class, but I wouldn't know because it's just so highly de-emphasized. You just, you just, you know, you just work towards collaborating together and and you know achieving something together as a team and so on. But there's there's from a recruiting point of view or from a career perspective and so on, there isn't much emphasis on what your grades are or what your scores are. It's more about what what kind of things you bring to the table from from prior experience or the discussion that you have on the day at the time and so on. So that was uh, yeah very different as well. I think sorry just to. Add one small thing, right? Uh, an example came to your mind, Jimmy. Right? Even the uh, the kind of way you conduct exams is sometimes quite different, right? For example, at Ifade, uh, I was doing a course on a philosophy, a Socratic dialogue, and uh, the exam basically was a two-hour discussion with the faculty, uh, each person one-on-one, -on -one, uh, uh, which basically followed the methodology that we learned across the three months, uh, and uh, the faculty took a couple of examples and then we contextualized that and had a dialogue. It's a basically technique of philosophy and conversation, right? And that's how the coursework concluded. So, uh, as Jimmy pointed, right, the focus is less on uh, how much you know the technicalities, but actually how you apply them. And they're, they're quite of innovative ways of even uh, evaluation towards the end of the courses. Right, right. I mean, so I think uh, it would be uh, um, fair to mention that. Uh, in order to process the numbers uh, that India has to process, uh, there has been a standardization uh, in terms of, you know, uh, the examinations or uh, evaluation criteria, etc. Right. Uh, another thing that I picked up, I think, from what Jimmy was saying was uh, in terms of the experience uh, of, of the people who showed up uh, to the Samzamaya Matisade, uh, was that they had multiple different uh, internships, experiences under different verticals, etc. before coming in. Vis-a-vis uh, -vis Indian students who might, you know, uh, post their engineering or post their undergrad in, in finance or commerce, etc. Might be having one, maximax, uh, a couple of uh, different ventures that they work for, uh, right? So, with with that difference in uh, exposure to what uh, working in the corporate world looks like, uh, what motivated you guys to, you know, decide that, uh, you know, consulting or marketing, whatever it is that you guys started off with or wanted to start off with, uh, was the right thing to do uh, from the get-go? And what was your thought process uh, uh, behind uh, uh, that is what we're trying to understand. For any of our, uh, you know, listeners who want to uh, understand what are the decision-making processes that they should follow, 
in order to decide what their career should be like so i think uh, i think my decision for uh, joining mckinsey and sems almost went parallelly right so i think uh, uh, there was probably a little correlation but i think uh, the experiences that i had at sra and as part of the broader sems community right and the exposure that i got definitely influenced the priorities that i set for myself right uh, uh, for example right uh, i have proactively tried to make sure that i do a lot of engagements in different geographies right uh, uh i have done almost more than 18 months of projects in us i have done one engagement in germany and i have done one engagement in saudi arabia right uh, uh, last year right so i think uh, the kind of exposure that i got uh, during my uh, exchange semester at ifade and as part of the exposure to all the community made me sort of want to make sure that i want uh, i have a more holistic experience and as uh, informed my decisions right and even now there always a inkling at the back of my head that yes i think europe is the place i want to go back right the, the memories that i end up creating uh, and the experiences i had is always this uh, in the back of the head uh, that may that may be where my heart lies and where i want to be eventually jimmy thoughts yeah um well to answer your question on on how do you let's say at 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 22 23 24 figure out what's best for you and whether you want to go into consulting or you want to go into marketing and so on I think it's a bit of a discovery. Um, let's say it's obviously it is a combination of of um, the various shortlisting criteria to start with that you have at, uh, for example, I am Calcutta. So it doesn't mean that if you really want something, you probably are not going to find that opportunity even when you are part of even at I am Calcutta. There are, there are obviously different things that are getting balanced out there, right? So that of course is, is it is a function of that. But my my input would always be that you have to use a bit of your early twenties, mid twenties to sort of. figure out for yourself what is it that you want and do not be afraid to make a transition because you really need, need to take a bit of a long term view here the question that you obviously need to ask is do you want to do this for the next 30 years or not and and just to give you a bit of a context i started out in 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 i started out with an internship in marketing at unilever which was in the singapore office which was great fun i came back and um transitioned into the sales role let's say it was combination of sales and strategy which was primarily at bennett coleman or times of india group very 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 uh, let's say out in the field b2b sales you're really really bringing in the top line money for the company it is for sure an amazing learning opportunity very very challenging very very rewarding and very it was it was it was an amazing time for me um it, but also i was pretty clear that even if i was doing pretty well in this this is not what i want to be doing for the next 30 years simply because i feel like there are certain areas that i would like to sort of stimulate a bit more about myself the way that i work and the way that i think that i can probably put to use in a better context or differently and somewhere that i would enjoy probably a bit more and the answer to me was looking around and seeing the opportunities and seeing what other you know friends of mine are doing i thought consulting was a pretty good fit for me and that is the reason why i made a conscious decision that hey even if it means that i need to invest another year into academics which means that you probably still everything from your you know your academic fees to your investment and learning and gmats and you know career services and all of that for me it was worth it and um i would say that that's a bit of a juggle that you need to take um and the sooner the better if it means that you need to transition and do something different for for a lot of people i think what would happen is that you either um feel comfortable in, in the first phase that you get into and then you decide that okay this is what i'd like to do a second category would be that you probably don't like it but you say okay might as well continue doing this because this is what i'm in in any way and a third is a bit obviously probably a smaller group which is then you you know you decide that hey let me do whatever it means to make that transition because i really need to invest for the future 
So obviously there is no right or wrong to it. It's a call that you need to take. Um, and I don't think there's one answer that would probably help you figure out is there a, is there a good one for you or not. It's a bit of a discovery for sure. Okay, so talking about consulting, you said that, you know, a lot depends on what their shortlisting criteria is before you decide what, you know, which career you choose. And you said that you were, uh, you know, a fit for consulting. So for someone, you know, who wants to decide or figure out if they are a fit or not, what what do you think are the most important skills that uh, someone should, you know, consider before going into consulting? Yeah, I mean, I can I can share my thoughts and Pallav has been at the firm longer than me. So uh, feel free to jump in as well. But I think one of the skills that probably you learn at, for example, McKinsey or any consulting firm, for that matter, is this whole 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 skill around structuring, and and you might feel like it's it's quite arbitrary and it's quite random, but I have increasingly and you know constantly found that the whole idea around being able to structure something into bite-sized, manageable problem-solving skill is is a really really core critical aspect of how you actually function at any consulting firm, and that's something that you probably do day in and day out, and as much as it is it, it, it is probably not something that you intuitively want to pick up as a skill, I think it's a very, very fundamental skill because that ultimately is, is a very systematic way for you to address things that you want to, especially from a problem-solving context. And I think that's a very translatable skill. It's not just applicable for consulting. You can always take that into a variety of different um, you know, career opportunities that you will be pursuing further on as well if you should you choose to move out of consulting. So this fundamental ability to, or, or, or a focus around structuring and addressing problems uh, in a fairly systematic way is, is a really good skill that you can develop uh, as you prepare for consulting, which is essentially what they test you on various case interview formats, et cetera, like among other skills, including you know, communication, problem solving, and so on. This is, is very much the quantitative and the synthesizing is, is a very core part of what they test you on. So that's something that you can definitely you know, test for yourself. Is it something that you like doing? Is it something that you enjoy? And the rest of it is obviously building on that, right? Of course, not to mention that you ideally should be pretty good at quantitatives. I think that's pretty given when you're when you're talking about the client pool or the candidate pool that we're referring to. But I think that for me is 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 a fundamental thing that you can either like or not like when you start early on. I think uh, again, just taking both the lenses, right? In terms of what consulting entails and what are the benefits, right? I think there's a lot of uh, the pace of the work also, right? Like. Uh, given that you would be the uh, the benefit of getting exposure to all the different industries and all the different functions in a short span of time also comes with a very, very steep learning curve, right? In a couple of weeks on a new engagement, you are expected to uh, talk to a lot of experts and then uh, figure out uh, uh, what the problem statement is, right? And then use the structured problem-solving approach to break it down and then uh, hammer it one by one, right? So I think the steep learning curve, right, uh, if I compare... Uh, you spend up time, uh, for example, I've spent almost now four years in the tech services practice, IT services, and uh, probably there's no function that I haven't looked at, right? Whether it's sales and marketing, whether it's organization, whether it's cost delivery or modernization, right? So you end up learning a lot uh, through that exercise. I think two other skills which are uh, very transferable and very core to the consulting experience is one about storytelling, right? Like uh, a lot of the times I see that people struggle, people have lot many good ideas, but they struggle to uh, sort of convincingly deliver them, right, to 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 get others around them. I think consulting, just, just by the virtue of the kind of work we do and being in a services uh, uh, profession, uh, entail that you end up uh, building that muscle uh, quite a bit, right? And I think uh, the third is the attitude of getting things done, right? Because uh, increasingly you might have seen that uh, 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 the MVPs of the world are not just doing management consulting, but we are doing now increasingly a lot of implementation projects. And 
with that comes uh, an opportunity to build your implementation muscle right and then not just thinking through what the right answer is answer is but uh, a lot of the times balancing with how easy it is to implement and maybe uh, sort of right finding the right balance between the theoretical best uh, and what you can actually achieve in a given frame of time right also helps you gain that practical uh, uh, lens right which is very helpful when you then transition your role let's say into a business role uh, at some point in time right for folks uh, who who do that right right no and uh, just as an extension uh, for someone who for example uh, listens to this and thinks that okay i mean if not all of them i take at least two out of the three boxes or three out of the four boxes and let's take a shot uh, at consulting right uh, so just as an extension to that uh, we've seen that other fields like maybe an investment banking saw its prime uh, post 2008 or rather near 2008 and then it's it's kind of uh, been in a uh downward uh, curve because of the market conditions uh, post that uh, but with consulting we see that it's kind of an evergreen uh, profession right whether it's a recession or whether it's an economic boom consulting will always um, uh, have its uh, takers uh, so just uh, as as an extension to that uh, currently given the covid scenario given the make in india uh, digitization drive uh, on an indian specific context and you know just the overall uh, european context uh, as well Uh, what do you think the opportunities are like for someone uh, in consulting? What do you think uh, is the next big thing uh, in terms of the focus of the consulting uh, industry overall? Uh, in terms of the clients that we are going to have, maybe uh, it'll be more of the more of the startup space, more of the tech space, um, you know. And if you guys want to shed any uh, limelight uh, on that as well, um, if I look around, indeed, as you say. Um... I I would yeah just reflecting on on the things that I see around I think it's fair to say that uh, through the pandemic um consulting has, has has very much found takers in in different domains for sure like there is no question about that if I look at what are the things that are evolving and how is it changing um let's say that primarily there's probably a couple of different buckets to look at and one is of course a lot of clients are asking what is the future going to look like so what should be their long term strategic view in terms of where the business is headed what directions should they be thinking for a long term bet and this is also a time where a lot of leaders are making of uh, you know f- forgetting okay we need to take a long term decision and if it means that we need to invest in certain directions then so be it but we need to know what what should we be doing so that's one of the strategic questions we hear a lot second is more in the present which is around capability building and how do you drive those implementations in a covid setting for example i work a lot in the marketing and sales practice which means that how should for example modern sales forces be set up to be able to drive for example virtual selling or online selling or you know b2b selling in a virtual context and so on which is a completely different landscape right because you're transitioning from sitting across a table and having a pricing negotiation with a b2b you know client and you're transitioning now to doing that on probably only across uh, you know zoom and what have you so so that's a completely different um, way of selling and it's probably going to be here for the long term because we increasingly hear that this is obviously going to yeah it's going to be uh, a much more different environment in the future so answers around that is is a lot of questions that we hear and of course and there is obviously the questions around how do we optimize for costs and things like that in in a, in a, in a constrained environment right so i think those if i if i were to look around those are probably the three most in, you know common questions that we hear from from leadership across uh, various industries and i'm probably taking a view around advanced industries and chemicals which is where i tend to focus a lot around and based in the brussels office and uh, even even though i say brussels we tend to work quite a bit globally um, so if i look around that's probably the most interesting questions that we hear at the moment i think maybe adding to that i think uh, from india perspective i think what you have seen is the the, the commitments around uh, 
cost optimization, right, have always been there and they will be there. But we have definitely seen an uptake on two other themes, right, which is one in terms of the operating model, right, how those might change across industries fundamentally. Uh, I can contextualize it for IT services, which is that one of the questions that we've almost advised all the key providers in India is about how the new hybrid model will emerge, right, which is now we have operated for almost 12 months in the work from home model. So what's the right equilibrium of how many homes we have first does need to go back to the work, right? And I'm guessing there's an equivalent to every industry. Those are, those kind of questions have definitely picked up. And the second is the growth, right? So now suddenly everyone is talking about growth. Given the disruption that, is, that COVID uh, has caused, right? Like what, uh, just thinking about what will be the new growth avenue, what are the new technologies? We see cloud getting immense push, right? So now suddenly everyone is asking, uh, what are those opportunities going to look like in what geographies, in what areas, in what segments, and what re- what is required to win, right? So a lot of the growth opportunities which we would not typically see questions from India perspective, like clients knowing uh, what they want to go after is suddenly becoming an important thing. I think the other contour is, which you were mentioning in terms of the clients, right? And I think even before COVID, uh, uh, Jimmy, you should add, I think as a firm, McKinsey has sort of made, uh, push the envelope in terms of working with quite a lot of startups. We have a practice called Leap, right, which is innovating on the business model in terms of how we can have different commercial arrangements to work with startups who might not be able to work with the usual commercial arrangements that we have, right? And how do we have some sort of advisory panels uh, uh, and short project engagements so that we can help them on target problem solving, right? And that's how at least we are finding new ways to engage with different uh, type of clients that we have uh, historically so right right and uh, i think uh, i mean not only uh, since you mentioned uh, leap i would also uh, like to maybe uh, bring into uh, the limelight uh, you know a lot of uh, mckay or mckinsey uh, specific uh, you know practices uh, that uh, are considered best in class uh, in the industry right so for example we spoke about uh, problem solving being a very important aspect uh, for somebody aspiring to get into consulting uh, I think uh, there is uh, the all-important evergreen, the seven-step uh, McKinsey uh, problem-solving, uh, you know, uh, uh, paradigm that we have. Uh, and also, there are a lot of internal resources uh, within McKinsey, like, for example, even as interns, uh, we were exposed to, I think, uh, the best-in-class industry experts within the firm, outside the firm, for any and every sort of, uh, you know, help that we needed being amateurs. We didn't know a lot about many industries. Uh, but the learning and the handover is so quick. Uh, would you like to talk a little bit about that? Maybe about our internal assets, something like a quantum black or what McKinsey has been doing, you know, uh, to keep its position uh, as uh, as the best class uh, uh, consulting firm uh, in in uh, the industry, and also uh, maybe then uh, talk a little bit about the exit opportunities that we can see not only within consulting. Uh, but within the alumni network at uh, at uh, McKinsey, like just recently, I saw uh, the CEO of uh, Bombay Shaving Company, Bharat Pandey, talk about how uh, 12 McKay partners, you know, uh, funded uh, his idea just when he was about to become an engagement manager and, you know, supported him in his endeavor uh, post-McKinsey. So I would just like to maybe highlight a little bit of a McKinsey culture now. Um, and if, again, if any one of you would like to uh, take that up. Yeah, I can, I can take a shot of the first part of the question, um, <clears throat> which is around how is McKinsey sort of, let's say, positioning itself on, on lots of the emerging things which are happening around the world, right? 
And I think McKinsey of today is very, very different um, and probably fair to say that across consulting firms or some of the top consulting firms as well, that McKinsey of today is, is very different from probably what it was, let's say, 20 to 30 years ago. And it is a function of several things, of course. One is the changing landscape that we are working in, very dynamic and evolving. That's one. But in addition to that, it's also a result of a very focused effort by, I think, the firm to make sure that the talent pool that they recruit is not just the classical business school graduates who fit the perfect you know, the definition of the Ivy Leagues and what have you. So today, the firm increasingly looks at people with experience, people with uh, specific skill sets, whether it's in whether it's in everything from from being a very good data analyst to a digital marketer to probably being an ex CEO of, of a corporation. And, you know, it's, it's a very, very broad spectrum of talent pool that they look at. And the reason that this has been done is, is that the firm has also invested a lot into a lots of different areas, including everything from its classical strategy consulting to a lot more emphasis around the long-term implementation focus, which is what increasingly clients are asking for a lot of topics around digital capabilities. Um, a lot, lots of things around solutions. So various kinds of McKinsey solutions, including things like you mentioned, quantum black and so on. Um, as well as in-house tools that they are, you know, increasingly setting up as, as very much close to plug and play that can be deployed to the client, you know, things around pricing and tools around that, et cetera. So in terms of the organization itself, it, there's a lot of demand from the client side on different aspects of the business and the firm has had to evolve and has had to, in, you know, invest in, in those sort of sources or resources. And that is something that we see across the board. Um, <clears throat> What in terms of in terms of um, supporting startups, um, exactly as Palam also mentioned, right? Like uh, this whole concept around digital business building and leap, it, it's a very focused effort around you know startups in various stages of their progression, like very early stage startups, the ones that have raised capital and so on. Uh, of course, the idea I think probably initiated somewhere in the Silicon Valley that we you know want to actively engage these kind of uh, you know interesting opportunities as well, and it's probably taking shape around the globe. So that is something that we're seeing as well, and and lots of engagement on that on different commercial models, as, as Palam also mentioned. Um, personally, I'm not sure of this Bombay Shaving Company story. Seems like a really good one. Um, I'm not being perhaps Palam is closer to that, being part of the Bombay office. Maybe you want to add something around that? Yeah. Um, I think the whole culture of sort of McKinsey being supportive. I think Bombay Shaving Company is a startup uh, started by uh, an ex-engagement manager, right, Shantanu Deshpande, and I think. That particular example probably caught up because of the support uh, he got from the McKinsey, uh, a lot of the McKinsey partners that he had worked with, right? So I think, and that's only one example that probably has come to uh, the fore light. Uh, but I think there are numerous examples this way where the McKinsey leadership is not just supportive of you exploring your different passions within and outside the firm. By the way, there are a lot of examples of similar things within the firm where people have taken the stand that I want to go and develop this particular solution in in. As part of the solutions, I know one of my uh, uh, managers that I had worked as part of the first year went on to lead the McKinsey Academy solution in New York, right? So I think there are a lot of examples both internally and outside, right, where people have gone on, pursued their passions, right? And then also a lot of examples where people tried something that probably didn't work out. They realized that, okay, this is where their heart lies and have also come back to McKinsey and now sort of uh, 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 part of the family back again. I think just on the previous point, right, in terms of the solutions, I think what we're also seeing is a lot of uh, uh, focus on the acquisitions, right? Quantum Black was one of them, and that has become one of the ways to acquire these capabilities, right? The whole movement to the specialist skills, because even the uh, demands from the clients have also shifted, right? They're 
uh, they've also matured in terms of their capabilities and they have developed their skills where they are asking more for specialist advice and skills rather than generalist, let's say, problem solving, structuring and implementation support. So I think, uh, again, uh, there are immense number of opportunities, right? I think, uh, as people rightly say, they, uh, uh, from McKinsey or broadly from any of the top consulting firms, right? You can pretty much go anywhere that you want, uh, probably with an exception of an invest- investment banking career, right? Uh, but even there, you have options like uh, venture capital and private equity open. And I think a lot of the times uh, you can go to industry roles, which are either business roles, PNL, or go to continue to do uh, business operations, corporate strategy kind of roles. Uh, we are also seeing a lot of people moving out to do something of their own, starting their own ventures or joining some of the early ventures uh, in some of the leadership positions. So I think all sorts of options are there. Uh, and uh, that's because the kind of skill set that, that you develop uh, in McKinsey, right? Uh, it sets you up very well for a lot of these roles that are out there in the market. Not sure, uh, Jimmy, if, uh, if, Jay, if you're seeing something different in Europe, right? If there are some different patterns. Yeah. Um, I, I can share a bit of an interesting, um, yeah, just personal anecdote um, through the INSEAD journey as well on, on this front. Um, so what I would increasingly see at INSEAD, for instance, um, at the time was there was, a, like, if you look at the recurring sort of aspiration hierarchy a little bit, I wouldn't want to put it that way, but typically you could see that there was a lot of interest in private equity and venture capital. Um, and invariably, um, there was... A, like I would say, uh, fair to say that there was very, very high demand for ex-consultants uh, in, in terms of um, recruiting from a recruiting point of view. Like they would definitely be the ones that would be, be getting a lot of interview opportunities and so on. And that's not just true of PEVC. For most people who are, for instance, trying to make a transition into other sectors, other domains, I think consulting is a very broad base that actually sets you up for success in that uh, perspective and we see increasingly people being able to make that successful migration simply because especially in Europe uh, personally have, uh, what I've seen is if you are an ex-consultant from a really good uh, consulting firm there's usually a lot of uh, interest for your profile and that uh, yeah it definitely helps you make the transition so especially if you're if you're let's say interested in making a geography transition and uh, you know you're working in as a consultant say in India and you want to transition maybe into Europe or something like that a consulting background for sure makes you uh, an interesting candidate for recruiting firms yeah so you know talking a bit more about the McKinsey culture this was about work but you know uh, we've also heard a lot that McKinsey invests a lot in the personal growth of its employees like it really wants its employees to be you know uh, to have their skills developed. So I want to know, you know, talking about your experience since when you joined McKinsey till right now, do you think that uh, your skills have grown uh, and, and McKinsey has actually helped in doing that as a firm? No, absolutely. I think I, I can go first, right? I think uh, you're absolutely right, Agreva, right? Through formal and informal channels, right? Formal channels such as the uh, scheduled trainings that we have, right? Uh, through a variety of topics, whether it's functional, whether it's sector uh, trainings or whether it's just trainings on how to be more effective in your role. Uh, I think there are a lot of thinking that goes behind, right, in the investment that the firm does in terms of making sure that it's investing in success of their people. Uh, when we talk of informal channels, right, uh, just the sheer focus on developing, right, having a developer, uh, having, having a development focus conversation within your teams, right, uh, the feedback culture that we have, which is very much focused on constructive feedback uh, you and probably rishi have experienced that right uh, uh, and, and and that's how uh, there's a constant uh, sort of giving forward right whatever people take uh, got from their uh, 
uh, seniors, right? They they invest uh, in developing the people that come after them, right? So there is definitely a lot of focus that goes into them. Maybe I can just add um, to that. <clears throat> so I would say that early on, you obviously develop a lot of broad-based skills, um, everything from what they typically call your classical consulting toolkit and so on. That's what you sort of look at. But as you progress and as you spend more time at the firm, generally there's a different expectation or, or an ambition that you sort of start specializing on a more functional level. So you pick up specific topics that are interest you and there's plenty of content that helps you get there in terms of learning materials, in terms of training programs and so on. So I think it's, um, yeah, the firm obviously invests a lot into its people in terms of learning content and uh, supporting them, yeah. Yeah, so, um, you know, uh, now let's talk about this one question that everyone outside the consulting world, uh, outside the consulting world seems very curious about, which is what does a typical week of a consultant look like? So uh, I would I would actually want, uh, you know, you to talk about both an Indian as well as, you know, if Jimmy can give us a European aspect to that would be great. So, um, Pala, why don't you start? I'm guessing you mean a pre-COVID uh, typical day, right? I don't think you are. Uh, yes, a pre-COVID. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> no, I think uh, a typical week, right? It's a very common uh, stereotype, right? You would typically take a flight to wherever the client location is, right? You will set up the will do a check-in with the team, uh, set the plan for the week, right? And then uh, make sure that through the week, based on whether it's a strategic, uh, it's more of a sort of a diagnostic strategic uh, uh, engagement or implementation engagement would definitely define the pace of your particular engagement. But I think it'll involve a uh, lot of client discussions, uh, probably one or two uh, team events or team dinners, uh, whatever you might be able to make the most of during the week. And uh, a lot of uh, informal team conversations, uh, in addition to the client meetings that you will end up having. Right? Uh, uh, in India, again, if we talk about it, we have made a conscious shift of uh, making the four days uh, at client happen. So uh, at majority of the engagements, you will see people flying out on Thursday evenings and then uh, on Fridays being in their home offices and using the time to one step back uh, and think more about the engagements and uh, uh, taking that opportunity to think about what's the best way to continue to drive impact, right? And also use the opportunity to network uh, with the colleagues in the office, uh, given there are otherwise very few uh, avenues where you would sort of network, see what other interesting stuff people are doing, figure out what interesting stuff you might also want to take up and have those conversations. Just maybe to add from a European perspective, I've not had the chance to work in the India office, but my hunch from having heard stories from the India office as well, I would probably say that uh, overall in terms of work-life balance is probably a bit more sustainable in Europe. Uh, people tend to be a bit more, uh, like, for sure respectful around around weekends, like we probably never ever do weekend work, uh, which is great. Um, yeah, I'm super happy for it. Um, but also, like, if from a, from a weekly perspective, I would say, yeah, very much classical Monday-Thursday schedule. We almost always come back on Thursdays. Um, so, uh, again, pre-COVID times. And Friday is more about spending time in the office. We finish early on Fridays, uh, but it's also getting to see everybody because you obviously don't see them through the week. Uh, so building a, a little bit of connections with your office as well. Um, probably you'll have team lunches, team events through the week, through, um, for sure, depends on the engagement, but most most teams are very, very focused around uh, making sure that there's a bit of a bonding between the teams as well. So we make sure that we have those at least once a week team lunch, you know, team dinners, team lunches probably every day. Uh, you know, you probably, yeah, quick lunch or maybe more 
Um, uh, slightly longer than lunch depends on the context, but um, yeah, we do throw in lots of events and activities to make sure that um, you know that everyone is actually finding space and time to get to know each other as well. No, and and I think uh, personally, uh, the the uh, reason why we were uh, wanting to focus on this question is uh, to break the common uh, stereotype, you know, that goes in uh, to saying that uh, there's a certain number of uh, effort and working hours that you might find in a certain geography versus another geography. Uh, but what uh, you know, the listeners uh, do need to understand is that in in a firm like McKinsey, when you are rotating globally, you need to become, uh, I think, attuned to working in different setups and different geographies and different cultures uh, right so even if the question is uh, that and give us an hours to hours comparison of what it is like in bombay versus what it is, uh, it is like in brussels i think uh, thank you for uh, the amazing insight into that uh, particular uh, question um, and i think uh, we we have actually spoken a lot about consulting a lot about mckinsey uh, and we would just like to uh, you know um, circle back towards the last uh, one or two questions before you know uh, we uh, uh, bring an end uh, to uh, this amazing conversation uh, and that would be something as simple as uh, i mean 5 6 years uh, into your career uh, right looking back um, what would number one you want to give uh, as an advice uh, you know to your younger self in terms of uh, career in terms of just general life advice uh, for anyone uh, listening to this and taking unnecessary stress about what their life is going to be five, six years down the line, um, and you know something of that sort, and also maybe uh, highlight uh, to an extent a little bit about what your respective education, uh, educational experiences, maybe SEM, IIM, Calcutta, or even NCR for that matter, uh, contributed uh, towards uh, getting uh, both of you where you are at uh, in in uh, today's day. Um, so, if Palav, you might, uh, you if you want to take it up. Sure. I'll be quick about this one. I think a couple of things that probably I would tell my younger self, right, uh, having gone through the journey. And I think the first one is uh, definitely explore, right? So probably, uh, as you mentioned, Rishi, I probably followed a uh, well-trodden path, right, uh, through my education and career. But uh, I would definitely tell my uh, younger self to explore more, to think more and to innovate more and check if, if something more interesting happens, right? And that's worth taking up. Uh, and I think as part of that, uh, it's linked to the other one, right, which is taking risks, right? Uh, uh, and I think we, we have a perfect example, right? Jimmy sort of uh, went, uh, uh, did not go the well-trodden path, right? So I think those things are quite interesting to consider. And I think people should not be afraid of uh, deviating uh, from the path that they see all the peers would typically go uh, and take around them, right? And we see a lot of that even in Ancalcida, right? As the uh, placement season comes, Everyone is talking about either a particular type of thing or a second type of thing. So I think you should be very clear and just uh, trying to tell yourself that, okay, this is my area of passion. This is what to pursue all uh, also becomes quite important in those situations. Yeah, um, my take would be the following. I think the number one thing that as, as, as young graduates, um, you know, graduating out of Joka and, you know, you basically you have, you have your whole life ahead of you, right? Your whole professional career and everything ahead of you. Really don't, uh, don't stress too much about a year here, two years there. It, it's, it's not, it's, it, it you, you, I think the key is that you shouldn't obviously, we've, we've all been in the rat race for far too long. Uh, I don't think you need to continue being in that rat race. Uh, it is about now you have actually built a very solid foundation that's going to help you make some, some choices that you are much better off compared to a lot of other people are in a position to make because you have a solid, you know, grounding on lots of different educational parameters and so on. So make sure that 
given the setting that you have, which probably a lot of people unfortunately may not have, make sure that you can do the best with it, right? So if, if that means that you need to take a year away, do something different, if you want to do higher studies, go ahead and do that because you really need to take a long-term perspective here and think about the next 30 years. So what is it that you want to do for the next 30 years? Go ahead and make the transition if you need to. Um, and I've had, so just like, you know, just, just like Samsung, there wasn't a precedence to us, you know, at the time when we did that, I think also this whole thing about studying further was also something that wasn't very common. But I've also had the chance to connect with lots of alumni over the years who actually wanted to do that and being able to also connect with them and help them in some way or shape or form along the journey as well, which is, which is quite nice. Um, so my suggestion is, yeah, um, don't, don't be caught up in this. Like, am I keeping track with my overall career progression and things like that? It's fine. Like a year here and a year there is not going to make a big difference. Like just go and do. It's more important that you make the right steps now because you're not going to be able to make a long transition later on. And if, if I look at in terms of transitions, it's it's super important to understand that you cannot change like industry function and geography, um, just like with the snap of a finger. You've got to make a conscious decision on what is it that you want to change. So figuring out which of those three is most important to you can be a good way for you to figure out what you want to do when you, you know, when you're making these career choices. Thanks, Jimmy. So, uh, you know, just uh, probably one last perspective that we would like to hear from you. Uh, from professionals like you rather is that um, a lot of uh, a lot of us and a lot of other students around the world uh, probably are looking at covid as almost like uh, you know uh, a pause on international mobility so how i mean what would be your advice to um, you know such students to plan their career especially those people who are looking for an international career away from their home countries so you know any any advice to them on planning their next steps uh, that's a hard one <laughs> That's definitely a hard one um, because obviously, yeah, the, because the end is nowhere in sight for a lot of people in terms of where headed. Hopefully, let's say, fingers crossed, um, things things do become better through the course of this year. Um, I don't think there will be dramatic differences in the sense that a lot of things would probably return back to normal. Now, around uh, what is it that you can do in the meantime, I think this is a good time to reflect and make sure that you're well positioned to make a decision when you need to make the decision, which means that Everything from whether you want to switch careers or you want to invest more time into what you're doing or you want to, you know, probably learn some new skill sets, etc. But this is a good time to reflect because you also have a lot of time to make those decisions. Beyond that, I don't think there's, there's anything dramatically going to be different, let's say, hopefully, when things return back to normal. Um, yeah, that's my point. And I think uh, in my, my belief is that uh, uh, things, when they come back to normal, they would come back even with greater momentum because even in McKinsey, we were seeing this a lot more focus on uh, sort of promoting uh, mobility within the firm. And I'm guessing that that's a sort of a trend that you might, uh, that other companies also might be doing. So the opportunities, the, the quantum of opportunities will probably be bigger, right? It's just a matter of timing on uh, what's the trajectory and how we recover. Right. I think uh, that's very uh, satisfying uh, for uh, both Agrima and I because uh, both of us have been anxious about uh, you know, when do we get to see the consulting glamour and the consulting travel uh, side of things uh, after joining? But uh, hopefully, uh, and uh, uh, fingers crossed, that things do uh, get back to normal. Uh, but yes, uh, just uh, in order to conclude, I would, uh, you know, uh, just like to thank uh, both uh, Jimmy and Palla for being so patient uh, because we've literally racked their brains about uh, 
the skill sets, what to do once you get into consulting, what does consulting look like, you know, what is it within McKinsey that differentiates them, exit opportunities, etc. right? The exact structured approach that we are taught uh, in, in our uh, orientation to consulting. We tried our best uh, to, you know, uh, <laughs> refer to that. Uh, but uh, thank you so much for joining us and also a big thank you to uh, I am Calcutta, I mean, for having SEMS MIM as part of an exposure opportunity for all of us, uh, you know, we are getting to actually interact uh, with such uh, alumni members, which we normally wouldn't have, right? I mean, there are so many alumni members that we have at I am Calcutta, but I think what connects us in particular is the SEMS MIM uh, uh, network. Uh, so would like to uh, thank uh, uh, SEMS and if there are any uh, last few words uh, that uh, Pala or Jimmy, you guys would like to uh, share, uh, please uh, feel free to. Um, otherwise, uh, I uh, from our end, I think it's it's uh, been an amazing uh, session um, today. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Rishi. Thank you, Agrima. Thank you, everyone, for having us here. I think it was a, a very interesting exp uh, experience of uh, sharing our experiences, right? And uh, hopefully, uh, uh, the newer generations of uh, SEMZs will benefit from a perspective. I'm happy to uh, talk further if there are, uh, there are further sessions for you. Yeah, uh, reflecting the same, thanks uh, Rishi, thanks Agrima for having us. Um, always good to connect back with uh, you guys. And uh, just on the note of staying connected, um, feel free to also use, uh, I believe there are some very effective tools that SEMS actually provides. One I think is called SEMS First Hand and another one is called eVisors, which actually helps you connect with a lot of alumni, uh, you know, you can set up time with them, connect with them and so on. So feel free to use those resources as well if you're, if you're, if you're, if, you know, if you're interested in, in reaching out to the broader community as well. So thank you. Thank you so much. We'll definitely do that. Thank you so much once again.